Hello, beautiful people. Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Carrie Ahern, for becoming a patron of the original cast. It's wonderful to have you as part of our ever-growing family. And I hope you enjoy the original cast of the movies. And you chose a great year to join and listen to the original cast of the movies because this year, every third month, Carrie Ginsburg, Roddy Flynn, and I are going over a new star who is then... Born, I guess, would be that it's a hard title to pluralize. But anyway, we've already done Janet Gaynor, and this month, now out there for you, if you listen to the original cast of the movies, you can hear us talk about Judy Garland, which we have yet to record at the time I'm recording this, so I have no idea how it went, but I imagine note cards were involved. So go to patreon.com slash original cast pod to become a patron of the original cast. Alright, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a performer, she's a writer, she's all kinds of things. It's Tori Booten, everybody. Uh, emphasis on all kinds of things. All kinds of things. <laughs> Hello, Patrick. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Happy to have you. Of course, because we have, uh, not only because we have uh, Adventure Theater in common mm-hmm. um, and and all that, and we will definitely be talking about Fantastic Girl and the Math Monster. That's a little <laughs> teaser for everybody. It's wonderful to, to meet you and to connect with you and to talk about... Hades Town. <laughs> to Hades Town. You have to take a long way down. Through the underground, under cover of night, laying low, staying out of sight. Ain't no compass, brother. Ain't no map. Just a telephone wire and a railroad track. Keep on walking and don't look back till you get to the bottom line. So normally I don't do shows that are younger. I don't know. Somebody out there is listening right now and being like, uh, you younger did than your this children. show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I, I did Fun Home not too long ago. So mm-hmm. like, you know, like I generally try to stay within five years. Of yeah. Sort of thing. But I think the combination of the theaters being closed. Yeah. And the fact that this show has been around in Forever. several iterations for you know about 13 years i yeah. think um gives it a little more gravitas and it's my podcast i can do whatever the hell i want so mm-hmm. you chose that. hades town yeah <laughs> gang and <laughs> kept getting very condescending to my lovely audience <laughs> but how did hades town come into your life okay um so for those of you listening you'll probably know rebecca spees i don't know if you know her patrick uh, but she's a lovely performer in the area and she also works at a great bookstore down in virginia um but we a couple of years ago went to see the kennedy center's concert version of chess mm. on valentine's day sure. so that should show you where my priorities are right. um and with Esparza, which was just an experience um and she knew that i, I was like I was and am super obsessed with Great Comet. Like it just, I saw it and literally it was the show that made me pick up the accordion, which was something <laughs> no one wanted except for myself. Uh, <laughs> but she was like, hey, have you heard of Hades Town? 
And I was like, no, I haven't, but it sounds like something I would like. Uh, and she, well, I was also raving about Amber Gray and she's like, well, Amber Gray is also in this and Rachel Chopkin also directed this. Right. And so she told me about the concept album and she's like, but listen to the off Broadway because you have Patrick Page and you have Amber Gray. Um, so basically the next day I went and listened to it and kind of had that moment that I think most people who are familiar with the off Broadway had where you're like, how is this not more popular? It's just, it kind of blew my mind. And so mm-hmm. I started like spreading the good gospel of it. And then I saw what, then I went to the West End. And I, when I saw that like Amber Gray was in it and Rachel Chopkin was still on the project and then it was headed for Broadway and I saw it on the Broadway in December with all the original cast, which was lovely. And just, uh, it's like <laughs> Great Comet and in Hades Town. I think the reason why I'm like flocking to them so much is it brings me back to when I was like 15 and just like listen to all musicals all the time. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, you go to college and you start your professional career and you're like, oh, I have other things to worry about. And then like you find these shows where you're like, oh man, I'm just that nerdy 15 year old who listens to Kelly Clarkson and musicals exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, so that's, that's my experience with Hades Town. Sure, it's a good experience. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. So I have confessions to make at this point. Um, oh my God. So I first, I can actually date when I first heard about this show because okay. it was on an episode of this very podcast. It was when Lee Liebeskin was on. In, in the Shout date out the, Apparently, the date <laughs> of the recording is May 17th, 2016. The episode <laughs> came out in August and, of 2016. And he said, have you heard of Town, the Anais Mitchell musical? And I said, no. And I went out and got the concept album which is all that was out at the time. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, that's cool. And then the live cast recording came out. And I, to be fair, do not like live cast recordings uh-huh. sort yes. of at all. It, it, mm-hmm. I, there's a couple I've heard that are like the passing strange. There's really no other way to do that show without an audience, but that was still mm-hmm. recorded in a studio, but it was with an audience. Why so, don't you like them? I don't like them because uh they don't they don't do what i really like cast albums to do because i view cast albums as a separate it's a separate but equal thing from the show yeah it's like a curated experience yeah it's its own art form it's got its own things it's got its own moments to it and and, and i don't i want it to be one of the great things about it is that you you usually can hear things on a cast album you can't hear Mm -hmm. You maybe can hear in the theater, but you don't hear on a live recording the way live recordings work. You don't like get all the nuances. Nobody, even if everybody's performing at their peak, it still doesn't sound as good as people Mm -hmm. standing and just singing. Um, So it's a a different kind of animal. And I listened to it and had almost the polar opposite reaction that you had was that I really didn't like it. I liked the concept album. I liked the music, but Mm -hmm. I did not like the live cast album. Then it came to Broadway and it came out with the cast album. And I said, okay, I'm going to really... Because they've obviously been working on it. Give it another mm-hmm. shot. And this gorgeous. It's absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. It's stunning. It's affecting. It's the saddest goddamn thing in the world. And it is oh, just... We're going to talk about the saddest. Oh, it's the just the saddest. Um, but I was so happy because when I listened to the live album, I was really expecting it to be something that it just wasn't in my experience. And so to hear it on Broadway and to hear that cast album really then made me go, okay, like this show is what I thought it would be back when I listened to the concept album in the first place, um, which is still a great affection for. I think it's a really fun album, but it is, you know, a very stripped down version of what 
mm-hmm. kind of an if there's such a thing as epic folk music, that's what this cast album seems to be. Well, the, the off-Broadway recording sounds like an off-Broadway recording. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it yeah. sounds like it's in a back room somewhere. And like they're the people who have come back five times to see it, and that's mm-hmm. that's what the audience is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And the and the you know the cast is good. There's still a number of people <laughs> in it who are in the Broadway production, um, as you mentioned, but it also doesn't have. It's not structured exactly the same. And I have to yeah. say that opening the show with the Road to Hell. <laughs> is a tremendous improvement (laughs) over opening it with any way the wind blows. But before we jump all into that, I think Mm -hmm. it's probably a good idea at this point if you would summarize the plot of Hadestown for people who don't know what the plot of Hadestown is. It's going to be like such a long summary. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's the Uh, short, you can do the really, really short version and then you can do the long version. Okay, like the short version is that it's the myth of Eurydice and Orpheus, but set in the Great Depression. Boom, that's it. Great, that's that's it. Right. Uh, The long version is are set the Great Depression, which also like doesn't really matter. Like, I, can I tell you, I'm gonna mess up the summary from the beginning. Everyone like likes to emphasize that it's in the Great Depression. It was like, so, so what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Anyways, so setting Great Depression. Um, and in a world right. where the summers are hot, 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 and the winters are cold, 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 and there's just no spring and no fall. We've lost the seasons. Um, and it is, this way because Persephone and Hades are basically fighting. That Hades holds on to Persephone too long, which extends the winter past the spring, and Persephone wants to go away from Hades, making the summers extra, you know, dry and hot. Um, so that's our setting. Uh, our protagonist, Eurydice, uh, she is what I love. Oh my, no, I'm not going to talk about opinions. I'm just going to talk about summaries right nice. now. So uh, Eurydice rolls into town and she's been bumping around from town to town. Uh, and in town, there's Orpheus, who is uh, a person, they say touched by the gods, but he is the son of a muse and he's being looked after by Hermes. Um, and he's just this idealist uh, who's a excellent musician and he's trying to write a song that will bring spring back. Um, and Eurydice is first put off by his optimism, but then falls in love with him in spite of herself. And they fall in love and they get married. And uh, Persephone rolls into town for summer and they have a wonderful summer um, and the relationship starts out good. And then Hades comes to town and says, Persephone, it's time for you to come back to Hades town. And she's mad, but she goes. Uh, and then the winter comes and what has been this beautiful loving relationship, uh, kind of the, the issues of the relationship show up. That Orpheus isn't there, Eurydice is hungry, Eurydice is cold, Eurydice is lonely. Um, and down in Hades town, Persephone and Hades fight. Uh, so he says, fine, I'm gonna find someone who appreciates me. And so he heads up to the surface world and offers Eurydice a life free of hunger and free of want and free of loneliness. and. Uh, she decides to go with him because it, this world is just not enough. She's too hungry and she's too lonely. So they head back to Hades Town, and Orpheus finds that Eurydice has left, uh, and he's desperate to bring her back. So he takes the back road to Hades Town, um, sings a song so beautiful that it makes the the rocks and stones of the underworld crack open. So he's able to enter into Hades Town, where uh, he finds Eurydice, and Eurydice discovers in Hades town that when you sell your soul to Hades that yeah you don't want you you're not hungry you're not cold but you don't feel anything Mm -hmm. that's because 
uh, you want for nothing because you want nothing. Um, and she's kind of horrified at the choice that she's made, but Orpheus comes and he says, I'm going to bring you back. And Hades says, well, no, no, no. Like she signed, the, the papers have been signed. Uh, <laughs> you get out. Hades town is this special place where I take care of my people um, and keep them from my identity. <laughs> and, uh, and then Persephone kind of softens Hades and says, no, like he, he has a really noble cause. Like he just wants to be with the person who he loves. So give him a chance. So then Orpheus sings, the song to bring spring back, which is now this final beautiful song that everyone starts to sing and Hades softens and says, all right, well, I can't give you exactly what you want because then that would make me look weak. Uh, but I'll say you can take Eurydice as long as you walk out uh, to the above world out of Hades town, but you can't look back. And so they go on their little walk and <laughs> go on their little walk. Oh my goodness. That's a terrible way to describe it. Um, but right at the end, uh, Orpheus is overcome by a lot of doubts that we'll talk about. And he turns around at the last minute and sees Eurydice. And then she goes back to the underworld. And then that's the end of our musical. Mm -hmm. It's a Except sad it isn't. song. Except it isn't. <laughs> Except it isn't. Except it isn't. Um, right. Because which, it's a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's a circle. Which we will talk about. <laughs> which we will talk about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, the part that everyone knows about Orpheus I think is that mm -hmm. he's a really good musician and uh, he, he turns around and his wife disappears. Yeah. Um, and it's the saddest thing in the entire world. Uh, uh, yeah. It's one thing I was struck by and it's really clever. I was, cause I was listening for this, this time there's this thing that I like to call uh, the Roger Davis paradox. Uh, explain I, that to me, please. Okay. Do you know who Roger Davis is? I probably do. I'm really bad you at it. You do. It's what's so funny is that I, I call it that because it sounds like so pretentious. I'm like, Roger, Roger, it's Roger from Rent. His last name is Davis. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I, I am one of eight people in the world who knows that instantly. Uh, and only because like I look, so. I, well, that's fine. But I look, I look <laughs> it up to have this paradox so that I, I could remember it. Um, but so Rod, Roger and Rent is writing one great song. That's what mm -hmm. his character arc is about, as we remember. And the problem is, is that he, he's there to write this one great song. And at the end of act two, he performs his song and it sucks. And mm -hmm. I think even the most diehard rent fan would say your eyes is not a good song. And I hasten to, to I dare at, at say that Jonathan Larson would have rewritten it. Had he lived, I think it was a placeholder song and I think it would have been rewritten, mm -hmm. but even if he had, there's this problem with saying something is the greatest something ever in a mm -hmm. show or a movie or a book or anything. And then because eventually you have to show it to the audience and it won't be, it can't live up to everyone's expectation. The best mm -hmm. you can hope for is like, yeah, it was pretty good. And this show has that problem, but it skirts it beautifully mm -hmm. by introducing the song. It's kind of right away, right? I mean, it's yeah. like the third track. Yeah. He starts to sing. He sings the basis of the melody mm -hmm. and the thing that gets you know first Eurydice and then Hades like all wound up is this melody that they swear they've heard before
He doesn't finish the song until the end, but you know the song by the time he finishes it. And so you don't, it, it still kind of has that problem. It's not the greatest song ever written, but it's not supposed to be the greatest song ever written. It's supposed to be a song to bring back spring. Bring back spring. And so it it solves this, this interesting paradox, it, which mm-hmm. is a genuine issue for writers by the smartest thing in the world, I think, which is showing you the thing right at the very beginning. Yeah. And then by that point, you're like, oh yeah, that's a really good tune. And he's like, oh, it's not done. You go, okay, it'll be great when it's finished. And then by the time you get there, you know the song he's going to sing and you kind of don't care if it's the mm-hmm. best or, or not. Well, what I like about that song uh, is that it's kind of, it's in two parts, mm-hmm. right? There's the epic part where he's telling the story of Hades. He's telling the story right. of Hades, which I kind of could care less for. Um, oh, really? It's not my favorite song. It's, I don't know, I just always hear him go, King of Shadows, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> uh, but it's it's the, just the la-da-da-da-da, right, yeah. that part. And watching it live just cemented entirely what they're trying to do. And it's it's not just he adds lyrics or develops melodies, it's that voices add to it. Mm-hmm. And so by the end, when he sings the melody, it's because the entire underworld is singing. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what completed the song is that mm. he is a voice that is meant to lead thousands of voices. And that's the, that's the journey he's headed on. And then it also helps that like you're in a live theater and you have that bass hit in your seat and you get like, oh, got little <laughs> pricks that no one can see me doing because this is a podcast. Right. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the King of Shadows puts me off and then it wins me back over. which is <laughs> Well, I like, I, I got to say, like it, the other thing the show does very, very well and it's 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 sort of the same thing that I was just talking about is is set up and payoff, mm-hmm. and the fact that epic is broken down into three sections mm-hmm. is very very clever because you get kind of a taste of it, and then you get a little more of a story, and the payoff is so wonderful mm-hmm. when he starts to sing it the third time, and I just love that they have it on the album that Hades goes. No, it's about me, <laughs> <laughs> oh. and it's such a wonderful moment where you know the story he's about to tell Mm -hmm. and but you sort of also realize that Hades is not prepared like he Mm -hmm. thinks this is just going to be some dumb song and it's going to be fine and you go oh no you're gonna he's gonna break your heart here in in like half a second and then he does and like you say part of what does it is the rising chorus and the rising tide also what finishes this song is Orpheus realizes his parallel track to Hades Right, mm. that like Hades and Persephone are this lovely mirror of Orpheus and Eurydice because it's these both the men are. I've been talking about attachment styles with my friends, they're both an anxious attachment style. They're like, Come back, come back, come back. I love you, I love you. Mm. Um, and both the women, and this is part of why I love this musical, both women are very jaded. Mm-hmm. Both the women are like, No, this is life. Um, Persephone goes off and is like, I'm a goddess and this right. is where I have to be. Are you kidding me? Right. I should be worshipped. And I give up, I give up my life for you, Hades. And then it's just not enough for her because she just has this insatiable appetite. And Eurydice is the same way, but it's like, I, I totally empathize with both these female characters. And so I feel like at that moment, looking at the lyrics, you're like, oh, the story of Hades and Persephone is also kind of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, mm-hmm. that they see these like wonderful magical women uh, who just change their life not because they're like a manic pixie dream goddess <laughs> um, but coined copyright Tori there you go nice. um, <laughs> yeah it's just where it all comes together mm-hmm. 
That's I hadn't thought about that because mm-hmm. they are certainly. I definitely saw the comparison between Eurydice and Persephone. That that's mm-hmm. pretty clear that they're both strong women at very different points in their life, and you sort mm-hmm. of do see what can happen to somebody who's that strong and jaded as they get older and she's carting, you know, crazy cases of wine and vials of morphine. But like also, down. okay, I can't wait for Amber Gray to play Joanne and company um, <laughs> because like, that's just her type. <laughs> I am obsessed with this woman and mm-hmm. she doesn't know me. And the moment that I meet her in life, it will happen. I'm just going to like weep um, because she <laughs> plays like this ideal woman. It's like a, like, Lillian Fraser's wife from from Fraser. It's mm-hmm. just like it's this reserved woman who's actually like very sensitive and like has all the feelings on the inside, but she has a drink in one hand and she's like, wait until you live a couple of years. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's that's just like my favorite type. <laughs> and she plays it in Great Comet too, where it's the, it's the woman with the mm-hmm. drink in her hand. Wait till you live for a couple of years. I did have to reread a little bit of the the actual Orpheus myth. Um, mm because I had been a long time and I, and I uh, was, cause I couldn't remember why Eurydice was in, in Hades in the mm-hmm. myth. And it's cause she's dead. Like, was yeah. it, Oh, make, makes a lot more sense. Um, so the, 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 what, what I really, another thing I, I enjoy is that this show does take, it takes the, I, I think one of the reasons the depression setting is important. I wouldn't, I don't, you don't need to lead with it. You're right. It's not like the be all yeah. and end all, but one of the, re- I think people emphasize that because just to be clear, but it's not set in ancient Greece. Yeah. Um, one is the style of music and mm-hmm. two though, is it explains Eurydice's, uh, what's the word? I'm, what's the word? Plight? I'm, I'm sort of plight. Well, so her, not preconception, but her, Oh, her. That's the uh, word I'm looking. Preoccupation. There we go. Okay. Preoccupation with being hungry and being cold and being poor because everybody is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the sort of natural state of the world, and so it gives her some motivation to be, um, to be so worried about it that she would ditch Orpheus, mm-hmm. and not at the drop of a hat, but at like with enough provocation, she will move on no, to the next I mean, that's the place. thing. That's what I love about lifting it from the myth is that they kind of swap characters a bit. Mm-hmm. Where like Orpheus becomes the lover that like, like the Commedia style lover that we kind of expect the woman to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then sure. uh, the, the woman is the pragmatic person where it's, and it's not just the first account of being pragmatic, but like, you can't, you can't be in a healthy marriage if you haven't eaten in a week. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's impossible. And, and also the fact that Orpheus kind of, he gets this lift because he has Hermes who's guarding him. So he's right. always been protected in his life. He's not had to live his life alone. But you also get this sense that since he is a demigod, basically, that he, he doesn't need to eat as often. He doesn't feel the cold like humans would. Like he lives this life of privilege, which, oh my God, trigger word of 2020. Um, sure. He lives a life of privilege mm-hmm. where he gets he gets to write music. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of this musical that operates on like, like the story level. And then there's the, it's like a love letter to artists in my mind, which mm. I'll talk about like the multiple meanings of the ending for me later. Um, sure. But like artists, there is a privilege to making art because... Mm-hmm. 
not only like some artists, you just get to worry about yourself, right? I just worry about the food that goes in my stomach and on my plate. But what about the people who you have to worry about your family's plates, about mm. whether your kids or your parents, or you have other people relying on you that like, yeah, art's important, but you know, part of your hustle is putting food on the table. Part of your hustle is paying rent. Um, and she, right, and it's tragic because this is part of why she falls in love with him is his optimism, mm -hmm. is that she lives in this world of just everything is terrible all the time. Then <laughs> in comes a man of like, what, the first thing he says to her is, come home with me. Right. <laughs> I want to marry you. You're perfect. Here's my song. Um, and she's like, who are you? Right. <laughs> um, but it's he like this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like this all the time. Um, what is it? And Hermes tells him, don't come on too strong. Right. Uh, <laughs> and the second thing is, come yeah. home with me. Um, and that's part of why he falls, like she falls in love with him. And part of why he falls in love with her is that she is just like, she's seen it all. But the fact that she stops and looks at him, like in on All I Ever Known, how, whatever the name of that song is, All I've Ever Known, um, where she says, like, promise me you'll stay. Part of that is like, she's asking him to promise that she'll stay because she's just like spend this life going from place to place and he sees this in her and he sees like i don't know i'm i'm romanticizing this but basically like the light in her eyes and how she has like such spirit but she decides to stay with him and that's part of why he falls in love with her too but he she, i mean but that's very important also because mm -hmm. she's making him promise something that he will ultimately not do i mean that is very true it yeah. is he will ultimately leave and mm -hmm. not like in a you know, the way that guy left Fontaine before the show even started. The, it, it, <laughs> a, um, I guess technically in between the prologue and, and at the end of the day, but in any event, mm -hmm. um, he doesn't ditch her exactly, but he wanders off. He's a kind of, like you say, he's a demigod, he's half muse. Yeah. He just sort of like gets excited about his song and he goes off and God does whatever and then like doesn't mm -hmm. come back for days. And you're probably right, probably doesn't eat and he's probably yeah. fine with that. And she's like freezing in a hut. <laughs> right. And it's just, yeah. it ain't great. And like, <laughs> it ain't great. It ain't great. It really it should great. be. It ain't great. Um, and it really is a show though, where like the characters are, are uh, I would say that one of the big words I would use to describe almost all the characters in the show is uncaring. Mm -hmm. It is a, a group of people who are even Hermes. Like mm -hmm. doing a close listen of it f to talk to you, I was really struck, and maybe it's because Andre de Shields is just like the most charismatic human of all time. So it's oh, like that's that's my next point to talk about. He is mm -hmm. just like even through the recording, he like comes mm -hmm. in and and like grabs you. He he he's very cold in his even in his care of Orpheus. He's very cold. He's very matter of fact. He's very sardonic almost when like he comes mm -hmm. back at the end and says well there's good news and there's bad news and the way he presents it is such a like roundabout kind of thing and even Orpheus turns to him before they leave and says you know is it a trick looking for Hermes to look at him and go like no it's not you're gonna do great give him mm -hmm. a little encouragement come for on buddy <laughs> and all he says is Mr. Hermes yes it's not a trick no it's a test the meanest dog you'll ever meet He ain't the hound dog in the street He bears some teeth and tears some skin But brother, that's the worst of him 
The dog you really gotta dread is the one that howls inside your head. It's him whose howling drives men mad and a mind to its undoing. Wait for me, I'm coming. Wait, I'm coming with you. And like, will not give him any encouragement. He won't give him any more help. He's just like, no, it's a test. Pass, you know, you're gonna pass it or you're not on your way and i think part of that is knowing like hermes as narrator but also hermes as god probably understands like what's about to happen he, he yeah. knows he's not gonna well because he he's watched this happen thousands of times right but i think yeah. even the first time he also knows orpheus yeah. well enough to know that he's not gonna make it like, well he, there are like there's like three things happening for me in this musical mm. where you have like the reality of existence like dealing with reality that we are mm -hmm. hungry, we are sick, we are tired, we are lonely, right? And then there's like this little baby hope. It's like 99% reality, 1% hope. And it's the risk that people are willing to make and to take to make that 1% of hope. That like, yeah, all the gods, they live, they live in, even though they have immortality, all the people in Hades Town have immortality. And it's just like, you just get set into, into the, pattern like oh my god there's so many reoccurring shapes in this musical mm -hmm. that like the seasons and the fact that the story goes over and over and over again but we get stuck in those patterns and that like Hades and Persephone part of the reason why they lose the magic of their relationship is that they just get stuck in like the reality of this so like all right I go I'm gone now bye mm -hmm. oh my gosh she's not thinking about me well I have to bring her back I have to bring her back it's not okay um and what was my point? I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Well, but it, it is very, the, the characters get, are also very self-obsessed, mm -hmm. which is their ultimate downfall. I mean, it's the problem at the beginning of the show. Like you just said, like the, the, the issue with Hades and Persephone isn't really that, I mean, it, it ain't great, but it is a Greek myth. <laughs> That uh, that is really going to be the subtitle, Hades Town. It ain't great. It ain't great. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is great, but like, it ain't great. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the fact that it's not the fact that he kidnapped her, mm -hmm. or and actually, the musical is very ambiguous about they it. Switch it. They switch it. Yeah, I think they, like they kind of ran away together, like it yeah. ran off with each other. Mm -hmm. But in any event, it it uh, whatever it was, that that isn't the problem. The problem is is that Hades doesn't care about her as much as he cares that she's there and mm -hmm. that she's just in the same way that he doesn't care about Eurydice and says it out loud, mm -hmm. but will not let her go because she's his, this is mine and I get to keep it. Why do you get to keep it? Because it's mine. And I don't like, it doesn't matter that it's wrong. And I kind of tricked her and he, this guy is in love with her and he braved all these things to get here. I don't mm -hmm. care. She's mine. She stays end of conversation. Well, right. It's the hyper, romanticization of relationships too mm -hmm. is that you get to this point where it's like oh I love you so much that whatever I do it doesn't matter it's because I love you like why mm -hmm. don't you get that um but he has like all the lines about the if you want to keep a bird give it a, a gilded cage yeah. um and but it's also like can you blame him because he lives in a world where he gets the leftovers right everyone lives their life everyone mm -hmm. has fun and then they end up in his world Mm -hmm. And then everyone, blah, blah, blah. And then everything always ends up with him, though. Like, that is just his existence from day one. Is that I get everything. Because everything has to die. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to make my kingdom then. But there is an added sense in the show 
and it's not explored too much, which I think is a good idea because I think the more you pull on this thread, the 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 less it would would work. Mm-hmm. That he rules Hades Town because the people who live in Hades Town believe he rules Hades Town. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's this thing like his big problem at the end, and it's very very clever, is that there is a like Orpheus is is inspiring a revolution, like and that's his problem. That like mm-hmm. he has all the people of Hades Town building a wall to keep them free. You know, we, you don't have to look too far to see what the, the metaphor is there. And no, please explain it to me. That's <laughs> point, point. <laughs> I, 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 I brought this chart. Um, I yeah. And please you relate do. it back to the Trump administration. Um, oh, it's just a little Trump was the first person to ever build a wall to keep someone out. That's true. Yeah. No, to keep the, <laughs> keep you free to keep people. Yeah. Free. Because the thing is the wall isn't built to keep people out. Obviously the wall is built to keep the people in and, 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 Oh my God, look at that. I did explain it to you. Um, <laughs> mansplaining. It's a thing, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we, um, but so, I mean, the, the point being that, like, if the people all realized he's not in control, you get the sense he would lose control. Mm-hmm. He would lose control of Town, And that isn't put forth as one of these, like, metaphorical fantasy problems where, like, listen, if all the dead people try to go back to the living, it's chaos. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just he loses control. So it's a personal issue with him. It's not a, like, it's not larger than that. Mm-hmm. And that gives him personal animus against Orpheus and personal reason to hold on to Eurydice and also explains why he makes this bargain that he makes at the end. Because in a Greek myth, gods are making bargains all the time because it's what they do. It's just their jam. They just like to make bargains and screw with people. But in this show, when you have a character like Hades who has real emotions and real wants and real needs, it there has to be a reason why he would provide such a weird bargain mm-hmm. Orpheus and I think Anais Mitchell did an amazing job at justifying of laying it thing. out yeah. and also being like this is what love is like love's easy when everybody's cheering on your side but go mm-hmm. it alone go, and and like let's see what happens and he's absolutely right Orpheus cannot handle it because he doesn't have and it's really that I like the lyric I think it's Hades says, or it's a Hermes who says do you trust each other do you trust yourself and it's that thing of like I think he does believe in Eurydice. I don't think he believes in himself. And I don't think he trusts. I always wonder about that, though. Like, when thinking about all the reasons why he turns around at the end, Mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's doubting himself, but also, like, she made a promise and then she went away. Mm -hmm. And she made basically made the same promise to someone else then, right? Because they they use that language of I do, I do, right? Right. and then she says, okay, I make this promise again. And I think that's part of like, right, it's the being fooled by the gods. But also like why, what always blows my mind is like, Orpheus, what happens? Either no one is following you. Right. Um, it's such a game theory moment. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing to lose by not turning around. Because if she's not there, then she's not there. Then and if she is there, there you yeah, get yeah. her. So like, don't, yeah, just don't turn around. And the way around. they stage it too, oh my goodness. I know this is about the cast album. No, that's but like fine. the way they did it is they have like this flight of stairs in a doorway. And he gets all the way to the flight of the stairs and the doorway, which leads to off stage, and then looks. In a, mm. in a way where I was like, wait, he turns around, though. He turns around, right? Oh, well, that happens yeah. on the album. The way they do it with the mm-hmm. music where he, because you know he turns around, but they have him turn around, you know, kind of in the middle of a measure on an offbeat. It, mm-hmm. it happens and you hear it in the music. It's so unexpected.
even though I know it's absolutely going to happen. Well, and this is like amazing getting, getting to like, uh, the layers of using music in a musical when you have a character, which is a good singer. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, when we use music in a musical, why do we use music? Yes, it's pretty. It's lovely to listen to. Um, but are there moments where like the music itself is like another character on stage? And something that I, I preferred in the, uh, the Off-Broadway album is, mm. I, I wish I wrote the actress's name down, but the actress who plays Eurydice. Editorial note, her name is Nabia B. Is a very folksy singer and they, um, her songs are lower. They're in a lower key and it sounds like she's like speak talk. I was alone so long I didn't even know that I was lonely Out in the cold so long Didn't even know that I was cold Turn my color to the wind This is how it's always been All I've ever known is how to hold my own how to hold my own but now I want to hold you too you know it doesn't feel like super lyrical so then when Orpheus whips out his like it feels uh, like unearthly um and so you you put in a Tony nominated actress as Eurydice singing I was like well Eurydice is a good singer too I was alone so long I didn't even know that I was lonely out in the cold so long I didn't even know that I was cold Turn my color to the wind This is how it's always been All I've ever known is how to hold my own The way that Anais Mitchell uses music in this to set up expectations, just in the rhythm and the patterns, mm -hmm. um, and in the way that like she reminds you constantly that this is this is just a show. Here's the band. Here's the mm -hmm. band. Here are the dancers. Right. And she like always she consistently uses the alienation effect at all the right moments. Right, mm -hmm. right when you get too invest invested, then she's like, oh, but remember, you know, we're just we're just like having fun up here. Um, and she gets you at the end too with that. That like, how do you successfully make thousands of people who come to see your show forget how this very famous myth ends? And she does it mm -hmm. um, because she makes you doubt. She doesn't make you like forget entirely, but she makes you go like, oh, wait, where is this supposed to happen again? Um, when it's staged with Eurydice behind him the whole time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a, another way that every good version of this myth that I've read, you get inside of Orpheus's head at the end and you, mm -hmm. you don't know whether she's behind him or not. But in this, it, there's something truly great about putting her right behind him on the stage. You can see him. She's mm -hmm. right there. You go, oh, she's there. So he, he won't turn around like because I know she's there. You know, you, mm -hmm. you're not in that moment. You're just we're hoping he makes it through the door. And of course, he doesn't because he can't, you know, mm -hmm. you can't rewrite the end of Orpheus. That's yeah. ridiculous. Um, and I, mean, I guess you can. You can do whatever you want. It's in the public domain. But <laughs> they, it, it, it loses the point. And then what's wonderful about it is the point of the myth 
sort of seems to be because again Eurydice is dead in in the myth that mm -hmm. you can't bring people back from the dead you just mm -hmm. can't do it like that's sort of the lesson I think of the, one of the lessons of the myth is that you when people die they're dead and that's sad but that's the way it is and you need to stop fighting that you know into the um, podcast we're done we're, the, we're gonna finish yeah, on that death piece. is permanent move on with <laughs> but um but the musical again it's cleverly decides that isn't a good thing <laughs> It's about the beat after. Yep, it's about right. the restarting. It's about the restart. It's about, and it's really an exam, a reflexive, you know, and and recursive story about why is this myth survive? Why do we tell this story over and over and over and over and over again? Um, and kind of takes the sort of concepts you have in, in in other musicals like Once on This Island and expands it into this very like meta force about shows like because mm -hmm. we're gonna do this show again tomorrow. <laughs> like, right, right, that's the second. So we have we have yeah. the, like the myth, right? That you can't change the myth, and that's right. why we do it again. And then you have like the love letter to theater people everywhere, where we do a show over and over and over again, and to a degree like artists in any form, you keep on doing art because you want to get that feeling again. You want that that feeling of it being new and fresh and genuine and honest. And then for me, there's a third thing where it's just commenting about love in general, that love will only end badly, truly. Cause what is it? You fall in love and best case scenario, your partner dies or you die mm -hmm. or you die together, you know, right. like, and that's it. Worst case scenario, but it ends poorly. Right. That like you break up or you fall apart or you don't break up and then you kind of hate each other at the end. Um, <laughs> or, you break up with that reason. And so like the quote, I, I have it written down here at one because I took notes because I thought I was going to lose my place. Uh, <laughs> I'm a scatterbrain. But also like I wrote down this quote and I genuinely look at it every day. It's at the end when uh, Hermes goes, It's a sad song. It's a sad tale. It's a tragedy. It's a sad song. But we sing it anyway. Because here's the thing. To know how it ends and still begin to sing it again. As if it might turn out this time. I learned that from a friend of mine. It's, I, I listen to the song and no joke, I'm not a big crier. I mean, I've been doing a lot of therapy, so I've been crying more. But like, it's that every time I hear that part of the song, I just cry. Mm -hmm. Because like, we just keep going. Mm -hmm. Like, these moments that we're in, they'll end badly. And then either you keep going or you don't. And, and that just like breaks my heart that like, and the way they stage it too is beautifully. So when Eurydice first comes on stage, she lights like a candle. Mm -hmm. um, and when she dies in act one, they, they like puff out her candle. Mm -hmm. um, and then she comes on at the very end as they restart to road to, road to hell and she relights the candle. And you get to see this moment again of them meeting for the first time. And in a way too, it's like, and people, the cycles of relationships, right? You have your highs and your lows and you have that like that really sweet spot. Like when you first meet the person 
And it's not when you realize that you like them. It's when you realize that they like you mm. and that you're looking at yourself through their eyes and that this like perfect moment, which is spring. I'm whispering. People can't see the podcast. <laughs> it's spring. Um, it's like a time of like rebirth and it's, and it's this perfect moment of the relationship. And then it's gone because you can't stay in spring forever. And it's, it is a gift though, that like it ends poorly for Orpheus and Eurydice, but we get a little spring at the end again, not just literally, but Hades and Persephone, you know, they talk, what is it? Persephone says like, what about us? Are we going to work mm -hmm. out? And Hades is like, we'll try again next year. Mm -hmm. And you get the idea, the sense that like, yeah, actually they may get a little bit of that back that after hundreds and hundreds of years of just getting worse and worse, we get spring again. Well, and it, it, it's what also gives the show a kind of happy ending in that mm -hmm. Orpheus succeeds in what he set out to do. He was setting mm -hmm. out to write a song to bring back spring and he did that. Right. That's, that's the thing. That's what we're promised at the beginning. Right. You're going to get a song that brings back spring and you yep. do. And you're like, but I have all these other ones. Right. But we didn't say how you were going to get it. We just said yeah. you were going to get it. I mean, that's the, that's the magic trick of writing a story like this. Right. And this is like the art that I'm personally drawn to is the art that I like the most is the art that I wish I could do slash I'm, I'm moving towards that the ability to tell a story and to tell it simply, mm -hmm. but in all of that, you laugh, you cry. It moves me, Bob, for those of you who watch Fairy Tales. But let's talk about your your writing. Um, oh, my writing, yes, yes, yes. Because we have to talk about that. And <laughs> so, <have> to. <laughs> well, before we get directly to Fantastic Girl and the Math Monster uh -huh. uh, coming to Adventure Theater um, someday. Ideally in 2021, 2022. That's where my contract says it's going to happen. Okay, well then, there we go. <laughs> um, that you wrote uh, with Madeline Belknap. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys did a um, Zoom, what do they call it? Facebook Live digital presentation. There we go. That's a nice Yeah, we call it a Zoom workshop, but I don't know. You can, you can was, call it whatever you want. It's your podcast. Yeah, it's did it on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was back in May and mm -hmm. um, to, to, uh, to great success, I thought. But so when you, um, but before we get into that, how long have you been writing as well as performing? Well, if you count my comics that I drew when I went to sleepaway camp because I didn't make friends, quite a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, thank you, you for just said a lot. You just said a lot of things. I, I know. <laughs> this is, oh, Patrick, I have a captive audience. I'm living my best life. I've lived three months alone with my cat. My cat is done with me. He is right. done. He's like, I've heard all your material. Right. Uh, um, so I, I guess, Looking at my artistic history, I kind of professionally started as an actor. Um, but I've always, when you're an artistic person, you always are looking for outlets. So I've, I start my projects and then I don't finish them. You know, I think I wrote a play in, in college that I, mm -hmm. I completed. But um, as a writer yourself, you know, you get 20 pages in and then you're like, oh, ran out of story. Not going to finish this one. Um, and I, I beat myself up a lot about that because I told myself if I can't finish the story, I'm not a writer, you know, so mm. why keep doing it? Um, so I, I did a lot of music when I was a kid. I was like a band nerd. And then I, I went to college and said, oh, I'm going to be a serious actor. So I can't focus on music, only acting. And then you graduate and you're like, everyone wants actor musicians. <laughs> um, so I picked up instruments again. Uh, and through this like weird little back door where I started with writing. And then as I got into music and started music directing or 
I was asked to, you know, do original arrangements of things and start mm. to explore more instruments. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna explore how music influences the story, right? And then I got into these like lovely places like uh, with Prince George's County Shakespeare in the Park where I music directed last summer and uh, people just kind of let me tell stories through music. And then I'm like, oh, I want to write more. I want to write more, you know. Um, and after with this project, which is kind of like it's been my catalyst back into writing, because since I started this, I've like completed two other plays. On my mm. own. So it's, it's fairly new professionally for me. But uh, last summer we were playing, uh, we were doing a show in in uh, a gym because we were rained out for our Shakespeare in the Park. Uh, mm. And it was a show that I music directed. I played Dogberry and Much Ado. Um, oh, nice. And I threw wild things in there like Kelly Clarkson because our girls always got to be in the show. Um, mm. And Blue Contrail. And just I just kind of like created this wild and crazy musical world. Um, and then Chil Kong, who's the artistic director of Adventure, happened to come because he had teachers who were in the show. He's mm. a very kind person and decided to show up and like, uh, but he sort of grabbed me after the show and he was like, wait, so you music directed? I was like, yes. And he's like, and you acted. I was like, yes, I did do that. And he's like, but I heard things that I'd never heard of. So you wrote this music? I was like, yes, I did, Jill. I, I did that. <laughs> um, and then so he pulled me in for a meeting and he was kind of like just trying to get a sense of the community, like any good artistic director would. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was throwing around these projects that he had ideas. And he mentioned, he's like, well, I'm thinking like I want to write uh, a musical about a princess and a math monster. And I was like, give me a few days. <laughs> and I came back a few days later and I had a storyboard. And I was like, well, we're not going to do the princess thing. We're not Disney. Hello. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm like, let's 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 create a... Uh, a superhero and her name originally was Supergirl and then literally the lawyers from DC Comics were like no you can't no, do that. No you can't do that. No. Uh, and so I was like fine fantastic girl. Um, and that's that's where we got to is like I came back with the storyboard and he was like oh do you write music? I was like I do but I know someone who's like better at orchestrating which for anyone who has gone into writing musicals uh, the thing that I would say on their behalf is like, oh my goodness, thank God for people who do orchestrations. <laughs> because it's just like, it it should be a Tony category, honestly. It is a Tony category. Is it? Orchestrations? Yeah. Orchestrations. It just came in very way. late. Well, it came in very late in, okay. in, in, the, in the awards process. But what's so interesting about it to me is that you decided, she says, I wanted to do a show about math. And you're like, great, here's a protagonist. She hates math. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, like okay <laughs> thank you for seeing it right through me um well no i i was like well what we're tackling is uh people who who don't like math so i'm like mm. in order to tackle why people don't like math we have to figure out why do people not like math what do they like instead of math and i mean i just thought back to like my fourth grade self uh just to give you an image i did have braces i wore lime green crocs Mm. Uh, I was definitely like a little bit too tall for my age and like a little, little bit like I'm like, I'm a fourth grade girl. So it's kind of chunky. Uh, and I was just sitting there with my math and thinking like, I can't even be good at math. You can't even give me this. <laughs> 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 um, and where I would just sit there and what always frustrated me so much is in math, it felt like there was always one answer. Mm -hmm. Whereas I grew and like, I, I got into more and more English classes and with grammar, you can kind of argue your points a little bit more and you can get partial credit as opposed to in math where it's like you either get 100% or 0%. And so I was like, what if you had a second grade girl 
who was just like outstanding at all things words. Like, of course she would hate math then because mm-hmm. words have this like sense of freedom. And then I also gave her two moms who work in STEM. So you'll right. have to see the musical to see how all that home. How it all pulls out. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also was like, okay, well, people hate math, but what they hate is not math. What they hate is like failing. What they hate is this idea of them not being enough. Um, so I created this world where uh, you have a monster, but the monster is not the thing that scares you. Um, and through learning about the monster, you get to learn more about what you're actually afraid of. Uh, and uh, your monsters can become your best friends. And it's also about mental health for kids. <laughs> sure. Because we want to add that in there too. Well, nothing's about one thing. I mean, if you have yeah. a children's mm-hmm. show about one thing, it's the Wiggles. Like, it's just terribly boring. Swinging it back around to to Hades Town, I have to ask you at this point in the program, what is your favorite song in Hades Town? Okay. This is difficult. Um, I think I have to say musically, wait for me, just because mm. it, it gives me the chills. Um, mm. I have a really hard time. Well, Chips Are Down is a proper bop. Like, that is a proper bop. Um, mm-hmm. We do love that. This one, it's like, when I listen to it, I have a hard time distinguishing between the songs. You know what oh, I mean? yeah. The songs yeah. definitely they all ebb just, and like, flow in and out of each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, let me let me pull up the song list. Sure. Hold on. I literally pulled it up because I was like, I'm not gonna remember all the songs. Uh, I do love all I've ever known. All right, I'll give you a straightforward answer. You want a straightforward answer? <laughs> um, actually, no. I'm gonna do a twist. Doubt Ooh. comes in. Oh Doubt comes in is my favorite song. Cold and dark again. Where is she? Where is she? Really? Uh, yeah. Oh my. I uh just as everything starts to go wrong. Yes. Well, no, so we're 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 gonna a good song. You have to like the lyric story, the music, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I think wait for me, I, I really love I love the the singing of the song without words, right? That's that's my favorite part. Um, when hell actually like cracks open and allows Orpheus to enter, but doubt comes in just the story that it tells and the way that it builds and like it gives and takes, it's just like, it's the type of music that I want to write. Right. So like I've talked Mm. about, like the thing I'm lucky enough that the thing that I like is the thing that I want to do. Thank you so much, Tori. This was such a a lovely conversation. So where can people find you on the internet? Uh, hanging out places. I'm trying to stay on Facebook. <laughs> so like, no one. The dark to side of the moon. Dark right. side of the moon. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at bogwitchdc. Um, mm. you can hear the story about how I got kicked off both uh, Tinder and Bumble for uh, ghosting people literally because I was I said I was uh, a bog witch from the 18th century and then I posted like photos of women in hoods out of focus and I would message people in character and then Tinder and Bumble caught on and they kicked me off. Um, but then I got a really wow. great Instagram handle. Yes. <laughs> Bagra wow. DC. Uh, I have a website, ToriBooten.com. Um, and you can also, I guess I should talk about my other project. Uh, Prince George's County Shakespeare in the Park. We're not completely canceled. We're going to do an audio drama. So in July, you can look for a release of 
Macbeth, the audio drama that I'm composing music for oh, uh, wow. and writing some original arrangements for that. Pour the wine and raise a cup. Drink up, brothers, you know how. And spill a drop for Orpheus wherever he is now. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Tori Booten for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. We raise our cups to them. We raise our cups and drink them up. We raise them high and drink them dry to Orpheus and all of us. Good night, brothers. Good night. <laughs>